Again, I, I really encourage you, stop by that table, talk with John and Bonnie. Um, please, scholarship a student. Uh, that could make a, a difference in a, in a student's life. Takes the excuse out of them not going to um, what could potentially be a life-changing weekend. So I uh, encourage you to, to stop and, and talk with them. Um, we are going to open God's Word. Uh, so we are continuing our series through Psalm, the Psalms called Songs of the Great King. And we are this morning finding ourselves in Psalm chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the little rack in the pew in front of you. You can find our text this morning. Uh, I believe it's on page 448 and 449. Psalm 4, uh, pages 448 and 449. I do want to welcome uh, all our school-age kids that are with us. Thanks for being here, guys. Uh, you get to put up with me again speaking. Um, I hope you follow along in the notes and tell me if I followed my own notes. Um, that might be in question this morning. But um, thanks for being here, kids. We are grateful for you. We love you. Uh, we, are a glad, we are glad you are a part of uh, our church, this church that God has, has knit together. Uh, Psalm 4. This is God's word. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you again in the name of Jesus, and we ask that you would aid us in this time, that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would speak to us, and you would show us your nature, and that you would comfort and assure us that you would draw us to yourself now in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's, it's an incredibly frustrating experience. Um, your head hits the pillow, and immediately your mind starts racing. You think about all the things you have to do at work or at school tomorrow. The, the list of bills piling up out in, in your kitchen counter, they start running through your mind. Uh, that thing you said to someone, that thing that you shouldn't have said, just replays repeatedly over and over in your mind as you lay there. You think about the, the insurmountable medical problems that, that you're facing or a loved one is facing. Um, you think about the people who maybe have been getting in digs at you or have been attacking you or bad-mouthing you at school or at work. 
You, you fixate on the relationship that, that seems broken, that seems beyond hope. Your mind is, is consumed with the welfare of your kids. You love them and you want the best for them, but things right now just aren't good. Or, or perhaps your mind is consumed with just getting through that grueling exam that, that's coming up and you have trouble sleeping. Instead of rest, we brood on these things, tossing and turning. And I'm pretty sure it's happened to, to most of us. If it hasn't happened to you, just wait. It will. Good news. We think about the, the chaos that was our past. We think about the chaos that is our present or, or what could be, we don't know, in the future. And we worry. We worry about things from first dates to interviews, from natural disasters to, to nuclear threats. Right? Our mind just goes and goes. And, and, and the pews we are sitting in this morning, they're far from like sleep number plus mattress, right? But I'm sure it won't be tough for you to conjure up in your mind those things that just keep you awake. So what do we do in times of anxiety and distress to cope? How do we cope with, with these things? And I, I want to show you that Psalm 4 offers two approaches to, to addressing these things. Psalm 4 is a, is a prayer, uh, sort of a lament at the beginning of David in which he's calling out to God. And there are two clues for us in this passage as to what might be prompting David's prayer or his cry or his calling out to God. First, look at verse 6 with me. It says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? So what David is doing is verbalizing the fact that people around him feel hopeless. They are looking for some good anywhere from anyone. Who will show us some good? And if we look at the comparison David makes in the following verse, uh, it might, might help us understand why they're feeling hopeless. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You see, the good that these people were hoping for was, was likely crops, food, sustenance. And perhaps as, as 2 Samuel 21 reports, and you, and you can read that later, this was a time of famine experienced during the reign of David. Rain had not fallen, crops had not grown, People were desperate, right? But there's a second clue as to what might be happening, and it fits quite nicely with this, this first clue. David's leadership, God's gracious calling um, on him as king had been called into question. Look at verse two. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? David's basically asking, how long are you going to continue rejecting my authority as king, refusing my God-given um, election, appointment to be king of Israel? And they're rejecting David's authority, his kingship, because they view a national calamity like a famine, 
like lack of crops, as, as a sign of God's displeasure with their king. That's how people thought. God's obviously not happy with our king because we have this incredible famine and we are desperate. We haven't had rain in months. That's the way people thought. The fortunes of the nation were tied with the king. And with his favor with God, there was a crisis of leadership and they wanted and needed David out in their minds if this situation was going to be resolved. And in the midst of these circumstances, famine and calling into question, can you even lead us, David? God hates you. God's displeased with you. In the midst of this, David both calls out to God, but he also confronts those who are attacking him. He confronts his enemies. And the question I want to look at first is, why does he choose in this psalm to confront his enemies? And the reason is, is because they have demonstrated misplaced confidence in the midst of this crisis. They've, they've taken matters into their own hands, rejecting God's goodness and authority. Again, look at verse 2 with me. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into a shame? In other words, they're rejecting David's authority. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies. How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? It's a little bit of a confusing phrase. The NIV actually captures this really well. It says, how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? See, in biblical language, to seek after lies is to pursue a false god or false gods. So, They've rejected God's goodness. They've rejected his greatness. They've rejected God's authority by seeking after other gods in order to have their desires or what in their mind are needs met. Right? They're seeking blessing apart from God's gracious hand. So here's what we see. Their conception of God is as a service provider, right? And they determined that their service provider had failed them in this moment. They would look for a new service provider. AT&T failed me, I'm switching to Verizon, right? Fusillo, huge as he may be, he let me down, I'm switching to Driver's Village, right? That's seemingly what God amounted to for these people. God was a service provider who dispensed goods to them, and he had failed them, and so they're taking their, their customer support elsewhere, right? God is merely a provider who existed for their comfort, their security, their pleasure, Their satisfaction had never been in God, only what God could provide. Take away the provision, take away the comfort, take away their crops and their sustenance, and they're disgruntled, and they want nothing to do with God. Their confidence was in in the peace that rain and food could bring, not in the God who provided them. They only thought of God as a means to an end. And when the end wasn't what they had hoped for, they were headed somewhere else. 
They were looking to a new so-called God. They're seeking blessing apart from God's hand. They're seeking after lies. They're seeking falsehood. They were simply leveraging God for their desires, their comfort, their peace of mind and well-being. And I wonder if any of us are tempted towards such an inadequate view of the Lord. It sounds like this. If I serve the Lord, if I attend Sunday worship, if I read the Bible, if I do all the right things, then certainly God will bless me and grant my desires. He'll help me through school. He'll he'll grant me success at work. Um, He'll keep me from hard times financially. He'll he'll ensure my spouse is faithful to me, and and he'll grant us marital bliss. He'll guarantee my kids mature into the responsible individuals that I envisioned them to grow into. Because that's what God does after all, right? He does for us. God exists or so sometimes we're tempted to believe, to make sure my life is filled with good things and to avoid hard times. So when our schooling, when our marriages, when our jobs, when our finances, when our health kind of hit the rocks, we're ready to turn and look somewhere else to have those needs and those those desires met, to have our gratification fulfilled. Instead of accepting God's hard providences and trusting him through it, we're looking to take matters into our own hands. Have you fallen into that trap? Have you replaced the sovereign God of the Bible who works all things, even ridiculously hard things, ugly things, uncomfortable things, the sovereign God of the Bible who works all things together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, or or have you replaced him, the only true God, for a God of your liking who exists for you? David confronts these people in verses four and five. Look at it with me. He says, be angry, and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He says, be angry, or it could be translated tremble. Tremble before God. Acknowledge how inadequate views of God have led you to rebellion, to sin, to idolatry, and understand what a shaky position this is before God tremble. And then he tells them in verse four to ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. He's asking them to consider their posture before the Lord, and then he goes on quickly to call them to faith and repentance. Offer right sacrifices. Put your trust in the Lord. They're they're no longer to offer sacrifices to other gods, to false gods. They're no longer to offer sacrifices to the true God just to get gain. I'm here at the temple to offer this sacrifice because I need food. They're to turn from that. They're to repent and put their trust 
in God. Perhaps you're guilty of thinking about God or looking to God or, or going through the motions of, of so-called serving God only to benefit. Consider the foolishness of that and hear the call of Psalm 4. Repent and believe. Put your trust in the Lord. But then there's David's approach to the to the distress, to the, to the chaos around him. He, he calls out to God. Look at verse one with me. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. And then uh, at the end he says, uh, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Verse six, he prays, lift up the light of your face upon us. This is a priestly blessing from the book of Numbers. So what David's doing in verses one and six when he's calling out to God, when we pray, what we're doing is we're acknowledging our dependence. We're acknowledging our inadequacy. We're acknowledging our weakness. And David endeavors to rely on God, asking him for the unique blessing that only God can give. But what I want you to notice is while this Psalm starts out as a prayer, almost a lament. By the end of the chapter, there's just complete confidence. Right? David moves from maybe a sense of anxiety and distress to peace and confidence. So that in verse 8, he can say this in peace. I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What gives David this peace where in verse one he's calling out to God in anxiety and distress, help me, be gracious to me, to the point where in peace, I'm just gonna lie down and sleep over there. What gives him that peace in distress? And the first answer is that it's God's faithfulness in the past that gives him this peace. Look at verse one with me. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. David's reminding himself as he calls on God that he's called up on God before and God has given him relief. God has answered him. Right? The unknown can be terrifying and overwhelming. I still remember my first day at school, before school, kindergarten, standing outside, mob of kids. I know none of them. My sister's somewhere in the crowd. She's abandoned me. We're waiting for the bell to ring before we can go in the building. And I may have wet myself. I don't know. I was terrified. I, I can still, I can see everybody. I can see the scene. Right? And, and it's because I was never there before. I'd never been in that situation. Now, talk to me six months later, and I'm walking in the school like it's, like it's breathing. Like, it's just, it's normal. It's what you do. You, you go here and you go inside. Right? If you've been in a situation before, things aren't quite as troubling. And here... David recalls God's past faithfulness. 
See, the best indicator of future behavior is, is past behavior. He knows God has been gracious over and over and over and over and over again. He knows God's unchanging. He knows what he can expect from God. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Reminding ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past, it provides peace in the present. What ultimately gives us peace in distressing circumstances? Secondly, it's God's commitment to those he's chosen. Look at verse three with me. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. See, David wasn't king because he was the greatest in the land. In fact, if you recall the story from Samuel, when Samuel goes to anoint the new king, Samuel has his eye on the older brother because his older brother apparently looks like the rock. And like, oh, that guy should be king. David wasn't even called into the conversation until the Lord told Samuel, hey, the king isn't even here. Right? David was king for no other reason than the fact that God chose him. God set his favor on him and called him to be king. John Calvin said this. He said, God principally proves his faithfulness in this that he does not forsake the work of his own hands, but continually defends those whom he has once received into his favor. God had committed to David. He wasn't simply abandoning him in this moment. And if you are in Christ, God has chosen you. You aren't saved because of your goodness or effort. And God is eternally committed to those he has chosen. And so reminding ourselves of God's commitment to those he has chosen brings peace in distress. What can provide peace when our our world seems like it is tearing apart at the edges? God's abundant joy. Look at verse seven with me. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. See, David found more joy. His reign is being questioned. People want to, there's a coup. People want him gone, maybe dead. People are, are, are hungry. David found more joy and happiness in knowing that God's face was turned toward him, that God's favor was turned toward him. That's what it means when God's face is turned toward you. Than he would have if the barns were just bursting with crops, if the cupboards were just overflowing with bread. David had more joy knowing God's favor is on me in the midst of famine than even if that were the case. He found more joy in the Lord than he did in the greatest delights in this life. And again, I want to read from Calvin. He says, never therefore shall we obtain undisturbed peace and solid joy until the favor of God shine upon us. And although the faithful also desire and seek after their worldly comforts, yet they do not pursue them with immoderate and irregular ardor, but can patiently bear to be deprived of them, provided they know themselves to be the objects of divine care. 
Here's the deal. As God's people, we don't say that meals at Chick-fil-A and games at the Dome don't bring us happiness. Right? They do, and we embrace them, and we enjoy them with thanksgiving. We don't say that health and safety are unimportant, but we know they're not ultimate. We know that these comforts and, and these necessities and these delights pale in comparison to the joy of knowing that the Almighty, the King of all creation, the Creator God, looks with favor upon us. And so we can have joy in the absence of so many good and important things, knowing that God is not looking past us or around us, but shining his face upon us. Reminding ourselves of the joy that God provides brings us peace in the absence of many good things. What can still our anxieties when life is falling apart? God's care. God's protective care. Look at verse 8. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. God alone provided the care that David could trust in. David wasn't providing in his security detail of mighty men. David wasn't trusting in his superior resources as king. David wasn't trusting in his secretary uh, secretary of agriculture to find a way through this issue. He didn't trust in the many who would certainly side with him. He trusted in the only one who was trustworthy. Friend, your security does not lie in ADT or simply safe. Your security does not lie in the amount of funds you have laid aside for a rainy day. Your security does not, does not um, sit in, in your ability or your diligence. Your security does not sit in well-ordered relationships. It doesn't come from the best health care or even a clean bill of health. That's not your security. As wonderful as all those things are. God alone is the one who makes us secure. Reminding ourselves of God's unmatchable protection brings us peace in chaotic circumstances. See, David can lie down and sleep, close his eyes in peace. In the worst of times, in chaos and turmoil, because his trust is well placed. Right? He's considering God's faithfulness in the past, God's commitment to those he's chosen, considering God's abundant joy and his protective care. David can sleep in peace because his confidence is in the one who attentively cares for those he's chosen. See, David confidently cried out. But much later, someone greater, in certain knowledge of his identity as the great and chosen king, rightly sang this song. The the beloved son, the king, the appointed king Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the shame of being rejected by his own people. 
for those he came to save. He endured the shame and went and submitted himself to the cross, even to death. And in the sleep of death, he entrusted himself to the Father's care, knowing that on the third day, he would rise again. And those who trust in Christ can have that same confidence. Those who place their hope in him can sing this song with him. In Christ, we can plead, be gracious to me. In Christ, we can plead, uh, make your face shine upon us. In, In peace, we can assert, I will lie down and sleep in peace. We can have peace in the midst of chaos or distress by trusting in the faithful God who attentively cares for those he's chosen. Peace in bad times does not come from seeking blessing apart from God's hand, but in joyfully recognizing his commitment to his people. Peace doesn't come from uh, some confidence in our ability to manipulate a situation, to figure it out. No, peace comes from trusting in a great and mighty God. See, any, tr- any trust placed in ourselves need to be repented of. That is wicked and that is foolish. We can have peace in the midst of distress by trusting in the faithful God who attentively cares for those he's chosen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again for your word. And we, we do acknowledge that no trial or difficulty we face in this life has come from beyond your hand. And so we pray that when life is dark around us, when hardship or even death threatens, strengthen and encourage us with your promises that you will not let us go. As we, as we sang earlier, we pray that you would hold us fast by your faithfulness. Grant us joy in knowing you above all else, despite what we lack. Give us joy in knowing you. Keep us from the sin and foolishness of seeking satisfaction in, in so many things, whether it's educational achievement, success at our job, financial security, marital bliss, our own well-being. Those things do not ultimately satisfy. Grant us rest and peace in Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.